0: When I was a newly ordained priest, one day I received a phone call from a woman who was asking for some help. Her husband had been battling a severe depression for about two years, and the situation had reached a breaking point, and there was a falling out between the two of them. And she asked if I could come over and pray with them. And after speaking to some of the brothers, I set out. And when I arrived there, I found a pretty tricky situation. It was obviously beyond my competence, as it were, as a, as a friend or advisor in some way. The husband appeared to me to be struggling with what spiritual theologians would call demonic obsession. Obsession is less serious than the better-known demonic possession, but it happens when someone is stalked by some bad thought, a demonic thought, and can't shake it. Uh, The person hasn't given himself or herself over to it entirely, but uh, it's causing problems, let's say. Many psychological disorders are akin to this demonic obsession. That is, they are marked by irrational and harmful thinking that has lodged itself so deeply in the person that he or she has a very difficult time resisting the impulse to act out of these irrational thoughts. Take post-traumatic stress disorder as an example. So a person who's been through a genuine trauma, has had that emotional shock, has this trauma imprinted on his or her body, as it were, because emotions are part of our bodies, and also in the mind, in the memory, in such a way that the person can react to harmless situations as if there's a life-threatening situation instead. And this is not an easy pattern of thinking to get rid of precisely because the emotional and pre-rational imprint is so strong. So the traumatized thinking keeps coming up over and over and over again. And uh, this is a kind of obsession, as it were. But let me get back to my story. Uh, Knowing something about this couple, I was aware of some of what had been driving the depression in the young man. And it was clear that there was no amount of reasoning to be done. I couldn't talk him out of it, that wouldn't work. And they knew this too, and this is really important. That's why they asked someone to come and pray. They didn't call for a therapist. They called for a priest. So I began by asking the man, are you angry? And he nodded. He was actually too angry to speak. So um, I did what I had read about in monastic writings. I laid hands on his head, and I asked the Holy Spirit to drive the obsessing thought out and to relieve him of his anger. And as I left, I instructed them to recite the psalms together. Uh, again, it's something we do as monks all the time, so it seemed like a good strategy. Begin with Psalm 1. Just go through the whole thing. And I took my leave, and I continued to pray as I drove back to the monastery. And about four days later, I got another phone call, this time from the husband. And he sounded very much in his right mind. He said that they had managed to read all their way to Psalm 39, waiting, I waited for the Lord, and they got to this line, My sins have fallen upon me, and my sight fails me. And suddenly, something broke in him, and he started to cry, and he began his healing. It wasn't a magical fix. It was, I say, the beginning of a process, a road to recovery. And it required the man to recognize that the thoughts that had been depressing him uh, had to be let go of in some way. They had to be acknowledged. And processed, and uh, he had to stop fixating on them and letting them wear him down. Jesus summoned the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over unclean spirits. What is a demon, anyway? What's an unclean spirit? A demon, we say, is a fallen angel. What's an angel? An angel, literally, is a messenger of God. That's what the word angelos means in Greek. So it's some entity that communicates God's thoughts to our minds. Uh, It's not entirely clear what the distinction is between an angel and a thought. And that's why uh, there's a lot of overlap in the early monastic literature between bad thoughts and demons. As a fallen angel, a demon no longer communicates the purity of God's thought, but communicates instead a harmful distortion of truth. So the early monks, taking this passage of the gospel and others literally and seriously, uh, they took thinking very seriously. And they were the great psychological pioneers, a, a millennium and a half before Freud. The first trick in this is to recognize that we're thinking. We often don't take the time to recognize this going on in us, but we're thinking all the time. Most of us go through the day acting and not paying attention to what we're thinking or feeling. So the desert monks would strip away as much activity and distraction as possible so as to focus on what's going on inside. What am I thinking? How am I feeling? And they noticed that there are three kinds of thoughts. There are the human, the angelic, and the demonic. Human thoughts arise from our human nature. They require the discipline of virtue before we act. So for example, one of these thoughts might be, "Wow." Those cookies look really good. Now, the whole point of cookies is to taste good. And that's because our taste buds, which are good, given to us by God, react with delight to things that are sweet. But we also need the virtue of temperance so that we can avoid becoming slaves to delight. We can't just eat anything that tastes good. We have to use our reasons and say we need to eat healthy. So I can recognize this thought, ah, cookies, good, and then use my reason to say, but I'll have one after dinner. Angelic thoughts come ultimately from God, and if we are right with God, they bring us peace and faith and consistency in our behavior. So we should think about God's love and fidelity, about the lives of the saints, and so on. Demonic thoughts, by contrast, cause disturbance to those who are seeking God, but it's a disturbance that's couched in deceptive appearances. It's not always obvious that it's a demonic thought. That's why it, these are distortions. They're not outright lies, usually. Most of us don't fall for outright lies. When we read that, well, uh, so learning to tell the difference between these types of thoughts, especially between the angelic and the demonic, this comes to be known as the discernment of spirits. And when we read that the Lord Jesus Christ gave the apostles authority over unclean spirits, this means that they were able through prayer and the laying on of hands to break the spell of demonic thinking in the persons they met. But we also share in this charism by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And to claim our share in this, we must learn to pay attention to our thoughts. And then we have to learn how to separate the good from the bad. How? So in the story with which I began, I thought of the Psalms because the psalmist raises many complaints to God. It's actually true. Again, I knew the situation a little bit. I knew that this man had been through a lot. He had reason to complain. Psalms give us all kinds of words of complaint. The Psalter becomes the prayer book of the early church because it's God's word to us that becomes our word to God. And we're permitted to raise complaints against God if we use his words. And when we allow God's word then to permeate our thinking and to change our emotional response to the world, we become skilled at recognizing what is consistent with God's word and what's a falsification. We can learn to identify in ourselves harmful patterns of thinking and feeling and then to participate in Christ's authority over these bad thoughts. We can let go of them. We can stop acting on them, if nothing else. This is to say, to use other words of the scriptures, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, discerning the thoughts and intentions of hearts. But what will we do then to learn how better to partake in this discernment, in this authority? Will I take time in my day to note my thoughts, to measure them against God's thoughts? Will I become a real student of God's word? For as Hamlet... An obsessive thinker once correctly observed there is nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so.